0: Welcome to the Indie Podcast. This is episode number six. My name is Taylor Sloan. Uh, I want to thank you for subscribing to the Indie Podcast. Uh, we really appreciate it. If you haven't done that yet, go over to iTunes and search for The Indie Podcast. You can also find us on SoundCloud if you don't have an iOS device or iTunes or a Mac. Uh, And you can just go to SoundCloud and search for The Indie Podcast and find us there. Subscribe to us on both if you want to. We really appreciate it. So this is episode number six. Like I said, we talked to Anita Johnson, who is the proprietor of Great Fermentations, which is an awesome home brewing shop here in Indianapolis that pretty much anybody who's familiar with homebrewing or beer culture in Indy will know about. We talked about homebrewing, the history of it in Indy, uh, what it means culturally to Indy. Uh, We talked about the rise in the number of breweries and how much beer culture has changed in Indy and how uh, beer culture looks in the future in Indianapolis. It's a great conversation. If you like beer at all, you'll enjoy it. Even if you don't like beer, you'll probably enjoy it. So without any further ado, here is The Indie Podcast, episode number six with Anita Johnson from Great Fermentations.
1: Well, I'm Anita Johnson, and I own Great Fermentations. I started the business about 20 years ago, and I am one of the very few people that get to do their avocation as their vocation.
0: That's very cool. What made you want to start uh, Great Fermentations?
1: Well... Um, I am a beer lover, and I am probably one of the first craft beer drinkers. So in 1982, 83, I found Augsburger Dark, and I thought, this beer is awesome. And then I just, that kind of started my passion. So it became as a craft beer drinker, and then as a home brewer, and then as a homebrew retailer.
0: So, when you started grape Fermentations here in Indianapolis, was there anything like it that existed beforehand?
1: Yes, there was. It was called Great Fermentations Inc, and a man owned it, and um, he was, by the time we started, he was really going out of business, and we said, "Gosh, We show us how to do this and we gave him a small stipend and he showed us how to, where to buy from and how to price and we bought his fixtures and we're off to the races.
0: So obviously homebrewing, most people, you know, know is is kind of a big deal now. I mean, it seems like it's a pretty prominent hobby uh, in America these days. What was it like back then when you started Great Fermentations?
1: Oh my gosh. Well, most people ask, uh, is that legal? And then the second thing they ask, what, because they didn't believe it was illegal. They didn't believe it was legal. And then, is that any good? Kind of with a, you know, I don't believe it's any good kind of tone of voice. And then, um, really, the people that did it back then were a lot of engineers. And... Um, Early adopters, let's put it that way.
0: Okay, so when you started Great Fermentations, it wasn't as big of a thing as it is now. What was it? Uh, what has it been like to kind of watch that transformation take place? To watch people get into that uh, as Great Fermentations has been around for that.
1: Oh, it's kind of funny. I am. Uh, I am the twenty-year overnight success. Um, people go, oh, wow, it's really, it's really big now. But you know, 20 years ago, it was pretty fringe. And then it started growing a little bit because homebrewers started seeking out craft beer and then they started opening, um, opening breweries and brew pubs. And then it grew even more. There was a little setback in the early 2000s. But then Uh, Since then, it's really boomed because more and more people are seeing craft beer as something that they, something is a lifestyle. You know, once you taste good bread, you're not going to go back to Wonder Bread. Once you taste good coffee, you're not going to go back to bad coffee. Once you taste good beer, you're not going to go back to, to Bud Miller Coors. Right. Which we call BMC here.
0: (laughs) So kind of going back to even before you started this, you know, you said that you're a beer lover. What, what drove you to be that way? What made you love beer and appreciate beer to the extent of getting into craft brewing and then, you know, opening up a store to sell supplies for craft brewing?
1: You know, I think I've, in my heart, I've always been a, a foodie. I love to cook. I read cookbooks like cookbooks and trade journals like, like magazines. You know, I'm, I like the history. I like the creativity. I like the flavors, the layer of flavor. And I think that really kind of took me from food to beer. So it was an easy transition because they're very similar in the, in that they're consumed, that they are a creative outlet, that, their flavor, you know, their flavor profiles. I love that all of that. So it was an easy transition from maybe a foodie to a beer brewer. Cool.
0: What, um, you know, you guys obviously have a lot of customers that in the indie area um, brew beer at home. What kind of things do you think um, are making people want to do that? Like what what do people come in and say, hey, this has made me want to brew beer? What, what is that for people? Because there's obviously plenty of craft brew that you can buy now. Um, why do people want to make it in their own home?
1: You know, I think it really boils down to the joy of creation. Because if you go to a liquor store and you buy a six-pack of beer, you get the enjoyment of that six-pack while you drink it. But if you brew beer, you think about what you're going to brew. Maybe you develop your recipe. you thumb through trade journals and find things that you might be interested in. You come into the store, you spend an hour talking to us, dreaming about what you're making, picking out the ingredients, socializing with other people in the store. You go home, you make. You go home, and then when you go to make it, you throw up the garage door and everybody in the neighborhood sees that you're brewing. They come over. It's a social event. And you get the joy of it then, and then as you, as you nurture it through fermentation, and then when it's finally done and you share it with people and they say, wow, you made that, all through that process of about 21 to 28 days, you have the, the feeling of creation and the joy of creation versus... Slugging down a six-pack that you bought at this at the liquor store. Now, I do that, too, but I also really love the process of making beer.
0: So, in America, and in Indianapolis in particular, one thing that's really taken off has been the microbreweries and craft breweries. Um, it seems like you know, every day a new one opens here in Indianapolis. <laughs> uh, if you wanted to keep track of them to go to all the new ones, you wouldn't be able to get to each new one before one, it closed and another one opened or two more or three more opened. Do you think that there is a connection between people coming into home brewing as a hobby and as something that's a part of their culture and their life and this kind of growth of craft breweries? Uh, and and small batch breweries in in Indianapolis in particular.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. Because Darren Connor at brew at beer was a home brewer. Mark uh, Mark Havens and Shane and Mike Pearson and Bill Ballinger were home brewers. The guys at West uh, at Center Center Point were home brewers. Um, Mark Schwartz is a home brewer, Sean Kessel at Grand Junction, and Spencer Mason at Grand Junction were homebrewers. Big Lugs, Scott Ellis was a home brewer. I mean, the people that start homebrewing kind of get the bug and go on. Now, I won't take—I I, I am not claiming any part of the, their success at all, but what we— what happens is people kind of see this and they they love it and they want to have it as their their vocation as well.
0: Do you still see those people that uh, run these breweries in Indianapolis? Do they still come in here to Great Fermentations and still do home brewing?
1: You know, some of them do. Yeah. Uh, some of them do. The taxman guys yeah. still home brew. Um, they're they're really passionate about homebrewing so yeah I mean we still see them we we're all one big happy family now most of them don't homebrew after they have a seven barrel system but they still have to do pilot brews or they run out of something and they run in here for it
0: that's cool um, you know, you mentioned too, uh, that one of the things that drew you to homebrewing was kind of your love for food and being a foodie. And I can definitely sympathize with that is kind of, I think one thing that's really popular in kind of our culture in Indianapolis and in America today is there's this sort of trifecta of the three things that people are really passionate about. And that's beer, uh, and you know, to a certain extent, wine and other, and other alcohol, coffee and food and people Mm -hmm. are, I mean, there's, you look at coffee, uh, and there are people who are, you have this intense daily ritual with, uh measurement and pour over and things like that do are there people who kind of span a spectrum of the intensity with which they approach homebrewing are there people who are maybe very meticulous and measure everything down to the you know very smallest possible possible measurement and then are there people who are kind of (laughs) laissez-faire and just throw something together and see what happens
1: oh yes you've got the spectrum. So you have the artists who, you know, throw everything that they get their hands on from the kitchen in the brew, and they don't measure anything, and they're happy however it comes out. And then you have the very meticulous kind of engineering sorts that they take measurements at all times of the temperature. You know, they have a probe that sends an alert to their phone about the fermentation temperature. You've got people who, who build sheds in their back, brew sheds in their backyard, heated and cooled and, you know, TVs and the whole bit that are that into it. So you've got, you really have, you have the spectrum.
0: Another interesting kind of branching off that and talking about food um what what kind of connection is there for people who come in here between their beer and their food do you see a lot of people in here who are also really passionate about food they're foodies kind of home chefs if you will what what kind of interplay does that have with people
1: oh yeah well we just had our chili cook-off at um the second Friday of February is when that happens. We had fourteen entries here, and we're just, you know, we just—you know—we just throw it out, and, and people are really passionate, and they're very—they—they—they they compete. Um, but you'll also see that a lot of our customers are gardeners, or they pickle foods, or they make cheese, or they make kombucha and kefir. You know, they—they. They, enjoy the process of creating something whether it's beer or food and the other thing is people are beginning to really want to know where the food and drink comes from and if they have a connection with the local microbrewery or brew pub or they're making it themselves or they or whatever they're doing they want that connection so it's homebrewing is really was maybe the beginning of local you know if i can't make it myself i want to know the maker
0: we'll get back to the interview in just a moment but real quick i wanted to mention a couple things first of all if you're not following us on social media you should be doing that uh you can find us on twitter we are at indie Podcast crew We are on Facebook. Just search for The Indie Podcast and you'll find us. Uh, And like I said, you can subscribe to us on iTunes and SoundCloud. So pretty much any device you have, there's an app uh, that you can listen to this podcast on. And wherever you go, make sure you leave us a comment. Let us know how we're doing. If you think that there are things we could be doing differently. If you have any ideas for guests or uh, music or segments, whatever uh, you'd like to see on the Indie Podcast, we'd love to hear your suggestions. Uh, You can leave us a comment on iTunes, SoundCloud, or any of our social media. You can also email us. We are IndiePodcastCrew at gmail.com. All right, now it's time to get back to the interview. That's an, that's interesting. I, I think, you know, kind of hyperlocality and all those, like those three things in particular, like coffee, beer, food, definitely all to go together. One thing I've noticed, too, is it seems like there's a shift now. And certainly there are a lot of the breweries in Indianapolis, like beer, Flat 12, um, Sun King, Fountain Square, what have you, that are very focused on their beer and their tap rooms are for the enjoyment of their beer, but there are also a lot of places, and even, you know, like Broad River Brew Pub, which is our first, you know, brew pub here in Indianapolis, uh, food is, you know, kind of a, a co-equal part of that experience at that place. Do you think that in the future more restaurants will have their own breweries, not as some kind of gimmick but as of course we brew our own beer here we make our own food so why wouldn't we make our own beer kind of thing
1: well maybe um i think we're gonna see a lot more breweries and brew pubs pop up whether or not they're associated with a restaurant i don't know um I hope not in a gimmicky kind of way because then they don't do it very well. They're not passionate about it. And they're just, they're kind of setting themselves, if they're not passionate about it, they're setting themselves up for failure because as beer gets, as craft beer becomes more and more prevalent, the consumer is becoming more and more educated and the people who are not making good beer are going to fail. Mm. So I don't know. I hope so. I hope that they, it becomes that prevalent. But, you know, in, in some of that, it's, it's a lot harder than making food. And I hope we don't get a plethora of bad beer.
0: Certainly not. That would be a, a, a tragedy. Um, what do you think the future of, of this kind of movement of, making and drinking craft beer of craft breweries where do you think that this culture is headed in the future
1: well on the in portland oregon and in portland oregon craft beer is 50 percent of the market on the coast it's 25 percent of the market and in indianapolis i think it's somewhere around 10 so we've got a ways to go and i i It's a huge market. So we have room. We have room for good breweries. It's only going to become more and more prevalent. You know, I've been an ale evangelist for a long time. You're not going to convert everybody. You just aren't. There are some people that that enjoy light American lagers. Mm. But as people, as it becomes more approachable and more available, I think we'll convert more people.
0: And I think um, I mean there are some craft breweries making and again I'm I'm very much an ale person. I like a nice dark brown ale any day of the week. Uh but I think there there are some breweries around here that are making some serviceably good lagers too. That's kind of
1: Uh yeah. Off the top of my head that uh Pilsner at Chili Water yeah. is delicious
0: well, uh, Fountain Square Working Man's is, is a pretty good pilsner
1: yes and I was at Daredevil in the last month or so and they had a lager on that was really delicious I think it was in October my, my back. I'm, I can't remember which one it was but I, I had more than one pint
0: sure um, one of the things that's uh, kind of an interesting question that I've had and I don't know maybe if you can speak to this but I think obviously we have a problem in America of people, particularly young people uh, below legal age to drink that drink a lot. And they drink a lot of bad beer and bad liquor. And do you think that craft beer and uh, good beer for the sake of good beer um, can affect that in a positive way that having beer as a more good and prevalent and respected part of our culture can shift away from just swilling cheap beer to get drunk.
1: Well, I'm a little older than you are and binge drinking by underage people isn't anything new. Sure. (laughs) Um, With the increasing cost of craft beer Maybe they won't be able to buy as much, but I do see a disturbing trend in craft beer in higher and higher alcohol being accepted as the norm. Twenty years ago, eight percent was a big beer. Now, an eight percent IPA is normal, hmm. and uh, you know, I, I'm there. I, I would say that I would look at that with caution. Um, I'm, ai don't like high alcohol beers to begin with. So I'm, I'm kind of a session beer drinker, meaning it's low enough alcohol. You can sit down and have a session. You can have two and, and extend the time that you, that you converse with friends and socialize with friends, you know, two IPAs at eight and a half percent, nine percent alcohol and you're done.
0: That's like drinking a six pack of, you know. Yeah. Regular beer. Do you think maybe even on a more cultural level, maybe over the next generation or two generations, having more of a respect for beer and the craft of it might pass down something good about that?
1: I hope so. Yeah. I hope so. Um, Craft beer drinkers. Uh, I, I hate to make generalizations, and I think this one is. Craft beer drinkers in my opinion, are less likely to sit down and get drunk. They're more about the flavor and the enjoyment of it rather than catching a buzz. That's my gut feeling, my opinion. I don't know. I hope that's the way they look at it because it's, it's really a work of art.
0: Yeah. And, and another thing you mentioned too, kind of the... We're going back to the, the way people approach making homebrew. Uh, you know, you talked about the people who just, they're artists. that they just throw in whatever they want and see what happens. And if they don't like it, they don't like it. If they love it, that's great. Have you ever kind of approached craft beer from that perspective of just trying something kind of off the wall? What, what's the craziest beer you've ever made?
1: Hmm. Oh, a caramel apple cider, Maybe. Um, I am a, uh, I've been trained as a beer judge. Mm -hmm. I don't judge very often. There are people in town that are much better at it than me. So it's a little hard for me to drink wacky things because I think, well, what is this? So, but there are times when I step back from all that geekiness and just say, I don't know what it is, but I love it.
0: Have you had any customers who've uh, come to you and said, hey, I want to make this crazy beer? Yes. What do you think? What would what, what have been some crazy things um, that customers let's have Let's see.
1: Rob Caputo, that used to work at Flat 12, did a Tabasco barrel beer. So he threw in the oak from a Tabasco barrel. And honestly, it wasn't bad.
0: I didn't even know Tabasco was in barrels. Yeah. So yeah, that's, yeah. I, yeah, okay.
1: So that, people who a long time ago would, would try to ma- do sour mashes, sometimes it was a happy, a happy experiment, and sometimes it wasn't. Um, I've had peach jalapeno beers, and they were actually very good. Peach jalapeno cream ale, that was delicious. Last year at the State Fair, Hugh Gardner from Lafayette made a gruit. And I just had another Gruet over at the Broad Ripple Brew Pub. Uh,
0: yeah. How with the Gruet, still Christmas or something like that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was pretty. I had one of those the other day, too. That was pretty good.
1: Yeah. So it's a non-hopped, basically a lowly hopped or a non-hopped beer. Mm-hmm. And honestly, the one at the, at the State Fair beer competition blew me away. That's cool. So much so that I asked for the recipe. Have you made it we did ours didn't turn out very well, so we're gonna we're gonna redo that in a smaller batch,
0: okay? What um, advice would you give to somebody who's listening to this podcast and thinking man? This sounds like a really cool thing. I like making things. I like beer. I like food So and I love to make food. I love to make coffee, whatever I want to make beer What would be the first piece of advice you would give to somebody who wants to make beer?
1: Well, the first thing to get over is the fear. You know, oh gosh, I might fail. Well, let me just say that it's a lot like cooking. If you've made tea, you know, you've steeped a tea bag, well, the first step in making beer on a on an intermediate level of brewing, which is extract and specialty grain, the first thing you're going to do is steep a grain bag, just like you would a tea bag, and you're going to make a grain tea. And to that green tea, you're going to add mold extract, which is almost like honey. You just add it, add it in, bring it up to a boil, and you follow the directions and throw hops in at the appropriate time, and then you cool it down and ferment it. So it really isn't that hard. If you cook and you've steeped a tea bag and you've boiled soup, you can make you can make beer. The Biggest thing, the biggest difference is sanitation because if you make food, you're going to eat the food within a few days or you'll freeze it. And sanitation isn't all that important. But with beer, if you get a contaminant in there, it's it's in a warm, dark place with plenty of food and you're not even going to try it for 21 to 28 days. Sanitation is it's everything it's everything and all that all sanitation is is you got to make sure things are clean rinsed and then you dip them in sanitizer for a minute how hard can that be but people don't get it you know they sanitize something and put it down on the counter or they suck on the siphon or you know they do something silly so I would say don't be afraid um you can always slip into the hobby for 75 bucks, but if you love it, don't wait to get good equipment because good equipment makes it easy. It's kind of like when I was a runner and I had, I always thought, oh, Gatorade, Pff, that's so stupid. I'll just drink water. And then I realized what the technical stuff of Gatorade did for you. And it, and it made sense or a draw, cotton shirts instead of dry dry, wicking shirts you know they make so much more sense and they make it much more enjoyable so try it we have classes here you can come and watch us brew you can we have a kegerator in the store that you can come and take a sample from um explore and you probably know somebody that's already brewed so ask them to show you, or come into a class. Just give it a try. It's just an extension of what you're already doing.
0: It's very cool. Um, where can people find great fermentations physically, and then uh, or where can people find uh, out more about great fermentations on the web?
1: Well, we have two locations. We have one at fifty-one twenty-seven East sixty-fifth. That's between Allisonville and Benford on 65th Street. And then we have one in Avon, which is at, on the northwest corner of Dan Jones and 36. Um, and then we have a website called greatfermentations.com. It's plural, greatfermentations.com. So you, they can find us there. Um, Yelp us. People love us on Yelp.
0: Cool. Awesome. Well, Anita, thank you very much for sitting down and talking to me about great fermentations and beer and brewing. Um, I, uh, I look forward to uh, continuing to hear about the exploits of great fermentations and home brewing here in Indy. Thank you for listening to the Indy Podcast, Episode 6 with Anita Johnson from Great Fermentations. You can find Great Fermentations on the web at greatfermentations.com. You can also find their two retail locations in Avon and Indy. The Indy location is at 5127 East 65th Street in Indy and 7900 East US Highway 36 in Avon. Don't forget to subscribe to the Indy Podcast. You can find us on iTunes. Just search for the Indy Podcast. And you can find us on SoundCloud by doing the same thing. Download uh, the SoundCloud app or if you have... Uh, an iPhone, or an iOS device, subscribe to us in your podcast app, and don't forget to leave us some feedback. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening. Take care.